0: Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman and we're behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. Today's guest is Laura Coe. Laura co founded LithoLink Corporation, a healthcare company serving over 350,000 patients per month. When LithoLink sold to a Fortune 500 company, she left corporate America to pursue lifelong passions. I can't wait to hear about that. Even while working in corporate healthcare, Laura always specialized in breaking down complex concepts to make them easy to digest, understand, and apply. Now she channels that unique skill into translating philosophy and ancient wisdom, breaking down life-changing wisdom in a way that everyone can apply to their own lives. Laura currently devotes her energy toward writing, coaching, helping others implement spiritual teachings in their everyday lives. Her first book, Emotional Obesity, is available for purchase. And now she's the host of a very popular podcast, The Art of Authenticity. Welcome, Laura.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, I really want to dig in. I think there's a lot I can learn from you. I think we've had some similar paths uh, and starting with uh, a family business. So tell me a little bit about how you got started and about uh, Litholink Corporation.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Um, I was a philosophy undergrad and graduate student and decided I didn't really think that teaching or um, being a professor in an Ivy League environment was really right for me. Um, I don't know, a community of people talking to each other uh, just didn't feel like it had the the effect I was looking for, right, where there's sort of a broader conversation happening. So um, I left my program figuring out next steps. And I came home and my, my brother was going to run a business based on my father's life's work. So he figured out how to prevent kidney stones once you have them. And um, I... Uh, he couldn't quit his day job because he was a full-time professor at the University of Chicago. So my brother was going to do it and I was like, well, I'll help for a little while. (laughs) And uh, that's kind of when I got started in in my company at 24. Um, That little while turned into 10 years. And we built a healthcare tech company. We took laboratory testing, we combined uh, technology and design to create a brand new model for managing patients with chronic illnesses. Uh, We serviced doctors in every state in America and then eventually sold it to uh, LabCorp, which is a $4 billion um, uh, lab business.
0: Wow. Now, what was it like working with the family and what was your role in the company?
1: You know, uh, the family thing, um, it can go really well. It can be the greatest thing or it can be uh, very, very difficult. For us, it just was, you know, a really great um, uh, combination of skill sets that, you know, I I wouldn't have known before going into it. But um, if you think of a Venn diagram, my brother and my skill sets were basically a perfect Venn diagram. Like we just overlapped on a little uh, piece and otherwise we had very complimentary, you know, great skill sets. So, Um, it, you know, he's my best friend. We've been, uh, you know, really close since, since childhood and and it was great experience. And my father, you know, he kept his job. So he only came down on Thursdays for a little while. And, um, uh, otherwise he, um, you know, was pretty hands off. And so giving a 24 and a 26 year old, you know, a lot of freedom to explore and, and do their their uh, their entrepreneurial things. So it was it was a it was a really good experience for us.
0: Well, uh, we have some similarities there too. I started my business with my two brothers, and and I always would say that we have very complimentary talents as well. And I think that's true. Uh, but it didn't stop us from arguing, <laughs> you know, when, because uh, sometimes we don't always look at things the same way. And I used to think that, well, that meant we ended up with good decisions because we had different perspectives. But uh, I- I'm sure with family, um, as close as you were, it wasn't always easy.
1: No, I mean, my brother, and my temperaments are such that we don't particularly um, often, but, you know, there were definitely a couple throwdowns for sure. Um, (laughs) but, uh, we definitely brought different views to the table. Um, and that ultimately led to, um, a, a, a broader, uh, understanding of the world, which, you know, now that I'm not working with him, I appreciate even more. Um, and, you know, there was definitely like a lot of long discussions and uh, disagreements and and holdouts until we kind of figured out about spheres of responsibility and, and you know, sort of authority and responsibility. Once we sort of got clear, like, hey, this is your area. When we disagree, we're going to go with, you know, if, if you're the one who runs that area, you get the final say. That kind of got rid of that gridlock feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, when you guys ultimately sold the business, what led you to selling? Was that a plan or did you just get approached uh, to do that? Uh, How did that come about?
1: Yeah. I mean, not a plan. We were, we're pretty stable and growing at a nice clip. um, I decided to have my, my first child. I thought, okay, the business is kind of uh, that's that beautiful point where it runs itself. The teams were in place. Everything was just humming along, uh, growing nicely. Didn't require a ton of my effort anymore. You know, it's just that, that sort of sweet spot. And so I'm like, I have a child. It'll be perfect. And this, you know, goes to this question of there's never a great time for anything in life. You can't control what's going on around you. But, um, um, I had my son and within six months, um, Labcorp just reached out to us. We just got a phone call out of out of clear blue air, um, and so you're not going to say no to that. So that was uh, it. Led to months of exploration until the eventual sale.
0: Yeah, and uh, sounds like a great result there. And uh, and yet you you hit a point. Um, I don't know if it was soon after the sale or a little while after that where uh, after a very successful exit, you still were not particularly fulfilled in life. Um, talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I was a philosophy undergrad and graduate student and I, you know, I just, I just found this opportunity. It made a lot of sense. I, you know, did the justification system. I was like, well, uh, I can earn money. I'll be my own boss. Like I get to work with my brother. This is fun. Uh, I liked entrepreneurship, Um, and it's just kind of like fine. And it was, it was just, you know, a quick decision, not too much thought. Um, and I, you know, that's just not how to plan one's career. Right. But, um, that was kind of what I did. So I found myself enjoying big pieces of it, but I really don't like the healthcare tech space at all. And so the topic and the product itself was just really hard for me every day to wake up and talk about the subject that I just fundamentally didn't find very interesting. And you know, my job was to create, build, and um, um, design all of the, the 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 company systems, right? So from concept, my brother did finance and sales and strategy, but from there, I would I would get the teams and. Figure out what that meant, um, and and build it all. And you know when you're building stuff and it's not a heartfelt commitment to it, it's it just becomes there's a laborious quality to it, um, and you can only add so much because your interest is is minimal. And because it's science, I really couldn't catch up even if I wanted to. It's just the the learning curve was so tremendous. My brother was a pre med student, so he he understood it a lot better. My father, obviously a doctor, so um, I found myself just. My dad said it once, your feet never kind of touched the ground there. Um I, I, I like had all this success. and I'm looking around going, What's wrong with you? How come you're not happier? This should be it. This is the greatest thing ever. you, you know, now have sold a company. You have a house and a child. Everything is what it's supposed to be. And yet there's that there was this nagging, frustrating feeling that got louder and louder. That there had to be something more this didn't feel authentic. and and that's when i when I left and and went off to figure out what that meant for me,
0: so you worked a little while in the company after the sale.
1: We had a two-year contract, so that was baked into the deal. Um, I am definitely one of those entrepreneurs who one hundred percent does not want to work in a corporate environment. So I, you know, hear about these founders that that try to go with the larger company and I mean I, I am the worst the, the meetings and the, the conferences and the politics like it just was uh, oil and, and and water for me so that was an easy decision after the two years to go but I you know I didn't know where I was Going to
0: (laughs) yeah well I have the answer to that the key uh, is not to continue to run your business as part of that larger corporation and it was a decision that I made early on and I was I didn't have a like you a commitment to to stay when I sold my company to Stericycle a large public company they really said you know stay as long as you want and uh, but ultimately the CEO asked me what I really wanted to do and I uh, I chose to take a risk and say well, what I really want to do is what I love and that's culture and I'd like to be the chief culture officer of this big company to see if we could scale what we did in my small company and and he said yes and so I I got to do that for 5 years I'm actually just phasing out of that role now but this is a company that does so many acquisitions, and I saw so many entrepreneurs and founders like you who, some of whom had hoped to stay on and run their businesses. It's really difficult to do. I, I don't think I found uh, one real success story. I think it was just that I got to do the kind of thing that I love. But if I had been asked to run my own business as part of a larger corporation, it never, I, I wouldn't have lasted uh, more than six months, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it's it's tough, and and the reason it's tough, I didn't quite get it, but the reason it was tough is you lose control over some of the key components that allow you to do what you do well. Um, if you don't run HR and the accounting and uh, right the, the finances are all all that stuff is reporting um, up through the CEO, um, you can't create culture. You can't make decisions about what to do next in your business. it It's all about the politics and getting that done. And often the answer is no. And so the company that you're 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 envisioning, what you're trying to dream and grow, isn't really in your hands anymore.
0: so I want to ask about this transition that you went through because uh, I was lucky to to go on to the corporate world, so to speak, and do this work. But now I find myself in this unique position where I don't have that next big thing. Uh, I had my exit. I went to work for that company. Uh, I'm, I'm searching in one way, so I have a feeling you're going to kind of diag- diagnose yeah. me here but uh, with, <laughs> you, with your background. But let's start with your transition. Talk about uh, as you then uh, freed yourself from the company, how did you go about determining what you really wanted to do or what was going to fulfill you going forward?
1: Yeah, um, I did it the most inelegant. It possible way. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I had a three-year-old and, um, I, I was a little arrogant about it to be totally honest. I was like, okay, I've got resources. I'm in my late thirties, not 22 anymore. You know, the soul searchy stuff of your twenties is over. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to go out like figure out what I want be done. Um, I didn't realize that the system that I was using to figure out what I wanted was the same one that I had used that got me into a place where I was doing something that I didn't particularly love. And, um, I was basically chasing my tail. So I would, I would look out in the world. I would see opportunity. I would think about, okay, how could I fit into that opportunity? Does it make sense? Pro and con lists, like all these great things, what one uses to make decisions, um, I just skipped over this one little part, which was, what makes me happy? What do I want? What is the kinds of things that bring me contentment? I didn't I didn't even think to ask those questions. Um, quite frankly, that question drove me insane and it drives my clients insane. They come to me and they're like, I hate the question, what do you want? You know, it's like, you can answer the question, what makes sense and what's smart and what will I be successful at? But what brings fulfillment is a really frustrating question if you haven't asked yourself that in a very long time. So, um, I you know almost took a job running a integrated healthcare systems uh, Northwestern spun off uh, into a private space, and they wanted me to run that great place, incredible um, um, ideas. You know I I love integrated healthcare more than what I was doing. <clears throat> Excuse me, and like okay, it all makes sense but I had that like sinking feeling that something was off. And I just, that was the only thing that I did differently was I committed to, if I had that feeling, I wouldn't move forward. But I was like, what is that feeling? What's going on with me? Why am I, right? And it was uh, learning to listen to that deeper sense, that intuition, um, learning to discover what, you know, really excites you, brings you alive. And and, um, and that took me a, a couple years until I came back to my philosophy. I came back to the roots of what I always loved. I was a yoga teacher on the side. This has been a passion for 20 years. And I started writing and um, I just knew instantaneously like, okay, this is, there's something really here for me.
0: So the, the, was it the writing that, that got you and, and how, how did you ultimately discover Uh, that, I mean, I can understand the question that you're asking yourself is, you know, what really makes me happy or what am I good at? Is is it just experiencing some things and then having it come to you one day and go, this is it? Or uh, was it something that really was more designed by you?
1: Well, so after I spent about two years banging my head up against a wall, uh, you know, nearly opening several businesses and, and then backpedaling and driving people crazy. Um, I, I got I dove back into the philosophy and I started reading self-help and I started like educating myself, like what is going on here? What does it mean to have a purpose-based life? What does it mean to find fulfillment? How do you answer that question? What do I want? And then I started, I, I was essentially my own Guinea pig. I would just practice these things on myself, um, see how uh, it, it would work and then incorporate that in. And, and one of the things that I learned was to stop trying to ask the answer the macro question of what do I want and start to answer the micro question. What can I find that makes me happy today? Can I try something small, low stakes? So people, you know, want to, you know, white knuckle this question. I'm going to get the answer. What do I want? But it's like, are you interested in painting? Well, are you motivated enough to even get a paintbrush, right? Are you interested in, um, starting a business? Are you motivated enough to write a business plan, do a spreadsheet, right? Like, uh, play with ideas, uh, start, with maybe 99 designs into a brand. If you're not even motivated to take micro steps, then that gives you a ton of information towards this bigger question. So for me, I, you know, I started doing these micro experiments. W- what do I want? Well, I always, you know, thought maybe writing. So I went to a cafe and I I just sat down and stared at a blank piece of paper, Um, quite frankly, all day. But <laughs> after about four hours of total frustration, I typed on this page, I hate this blank piece of paper staring at me. I just have to type something or I'm going to go insane. And then I just started typing. And I typed one page and I was like, okay, I think I'm on to something. (laughs) So it was much more the realization that the process was what I call the, it's inside out. Um, You're working with the external world, trying to figure out how to make it work for you instead of starting with yourself. What works for me? Trying little micro experiments, seeing if you want to do more, and then just keep going from there.
0: I love that idea of the micro experiments and taking the steps and, and asking yourself or just Uh, almost observing if you're motivated to take those steps so I was motivated to get up at 5 o'clock this morning to try to win a tennis match Uh, uh, I didn't win uh, by any stretch I played horribly today but that is something that is a passion of mine but I think of other things that that I like to do and writing is one of them I've written several books but am I motivated to write another book I, I don't know Am I motivated to uh, go back to photography, which I enjoyed? Things like that, uh, starting businesses, or all of those same kind of options. And I and I love the way uh, you describe that—that that it's just those little steps that you can watch to determine uh, whether you're willing. And if you're not, then that's that's really telling about uh, what you're ultimately interested in.
1: Yeah, and if you don't mind, Paul, like with the one asterisk. If fear is coming up, then it's still a green light because, um, fear plus I'm interested doesn't mean it's the wrong choice. It just means, you know... Fear is a funny little animal. Sometimes, when we're doing exactly the thing we want, the thing we want the most, we have a ton of fear. So, I try to uh, sort of segment that off. And the other thing is, you know, we write mission statements for our businesses. Um, a lot of us would say you shouldn't, you know, get going until you have a clear mission, an elevator pitch. Um, I also did that. I created a little mission statement, a little elevator pitch about who I am. What are my greatest talents. How do I say that succinctly in a sentence or two? What is it that I really do at my core, you know, uh best and there then where in the world is that skill, you know, valuable and needed?
0: Yeah, I fully believe in in the personal vision statement and uh sometimes I'll use the same format that uh, we would use in a company to yeah. say you know what's my purpose in life what are my core values you know where am i going to be in in 5 years and yeah. what does that look like uh i put students through that exercise too and it's it's really amazing i had a mentor of mine suggest that years ago so uh i think it it really does start there so ultimately uh, you've got a lot of things going on. You're, you're really teaching this stuff now is, uh, so where have you landed? In addition to writing, you've got this wonderful podcast, you've written the book, emotional obesity, uh, how, how are you best now giving to others to help them through this, this journey in life? And I'm sure it's not all people who are transitioning out of businesses. It's just, uh, anybody who wants to, uh, kind of look a little more inward into their life.
1: Yeah, it's been an incredible journey. I started with the book, which was really my own shedding of this this weight, uh, and it's a metaphor, right? The weight of the uh, ideas in my head, the justifications, the you know, approvals of others, all these things that were weighing me down that kept me from from my truth, what I wanted, who I am, what made sense to me. And um, that led to the podcast, The Art of Authenticity, because once I realized like, hey, once you really get to what you want and who you are and what you love, um, it's not a destination. You don't land there. It's an endless navigation. There's an, an art form that you have to sort of stay engaged day in, day out with. Um, so I started talking to people who were like-minded and having these great conversations and I, and I coach, um, you know, that's uh, a big piece of my life. Um, just this really wonderful wide range of people, um, who are, who have that feeling, right? Like I'm, I'm either onto what I want, but fear and approvals and all these things are getting in my way. Um, I don't know how to, you know, lessen the the noise, um, or, um I don't know what I want. I'm trying to answer that question. I'm just really frustrated or I'm ready to make a jump, but I, you know, fear's really getting in my way. Whatever the case, I've helped people, you know, leave corporate positions uh to to stay home, figure out next steps to be a mom for a while or even start new businesses. Um one person though, he realized he just forgot why he loved his business. And so he had thought he was leaving. He was 50 and he was like, I found a whole new love for what I do. Cause I, I just was disconnected from the, the reason I was doing this in the first place. So it's a lot of fun. I, I really love it. And, and, uh, I think I'm going to, you know, start my next book is, is the goal.
0: Oh, good for you. Uh, you talk a lot about ancient wisdom, spiritual teachings, uh, et cetera. I, I, I was someone that, um, would not have spent much time in that area. Really, my whole life. And about uh, a year ago, uh, one of my friends finally talked me into trying meditation, and now I'm uh, a huge component and uh, love that. Uh, have actually tried yoga a couple times, uh, but can't stretch very far. Uh, yeah. But uh, but this whole idea of mindfulness and and uh, you know spiritual teachings. How does that fit in to what? you teach others?
1: I mean, you know, it's everything. Like I was a philosophy student and then I got into yoga, I became a yoga teacher and I thought yoga was, you know, truthfully, I was like sort of this badass business person and I was at the gym and I'm like, I'm going to go do yoga and just breathe and stretch a little. And I went in and it was like, holy crap, that was so hard. I can't believe <laughs> like, what mm. was that? And I'm kind of like a boy. I can barely even touch past my knees. So it was really, really difficult. I've been, you know, pretty much an athlete and not that flexible, but it, it's strange. It does something. It opens you up at, it, it, uh, you know, trying to take a deep breath in the, um, face of being so uncomfortable in these positions really teaches you how to breathe deeply in the discomforts of life. And that's, you know, yoga is a spiritual practice, actually. It was designed for that reason. Um, you know, I've, I've dabbled in meditation. I don't have a, a regular practice, but, um, it, you know, the ideas that the the ancients had Thousands of years ago, they're still applicable. and they still are relevant, and they're still really deeply meaningful. So I love um a client once said the best part of working with me was um that Uh, you're getting Krishnamurti, but you never had to read the book, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like quote it. I don't sit there and say like, Hey, we're moving into some really cool stuff from uh, some ancient, you know, Eastern philosophy. But I just, I subtly bring these ideas into uh, my clients' lives because they're true and they've always been true. I, I don't, you know, unless they're interested, I don't waste their time explaining, you know, the ideas themselves, but how does this apply to your, your, your current day life? So say you have a, a a real challenge with fear. Fear is just really a problem. You you, you try to do something, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of fear, right? Like all of it comes up for you. Well, a lot of people have written to this topic over thousands of years, right? So why not leverage those great ideas, um, and, and bring them into your, your business environment?
0: Absolutely. I want to ask you about this concept of courage because in my work, what I focus on are workplace relationships. And um, many times uh, the answer to a a situation or a question is going to be uh, a person's willingness to even have a basic conversation, uh, a willingness to make a tough decision, uh, willingness to leave a job that they're not happy with or that they don't feel fulfilled in, how much does courage play into your process and the idea that, as you discovered, even though you had a great business with a great result, that wasn't necessarily your life's calling. Mm-hmm. To courage for you to make that decision and to go down this path and to take a couple years to figure it out, how much does courage play into what you try to get your clients to discover,
1: yeah. I mean, um it's huge. I, I don't know that I necessarily use the word courage, but I sort of think of it. It's, it's one and the same of stepping into the unknown. Um, takes a ton of courage, right? we we're funny. Funny beings. I mean, we can be in a situation that has proven to us thousands of times that it's not working, not making us happy. It's a relationship. It's the job. We go every day. We don't like it. We come home. But you know, it's the worn path that we're familiar with. We know how it's going to work out. We know the discomforts we're going to feel. We've been there. There's nothing. There's nothing new to it. We. you know, the the unknown, the unknown, even if it's leading to something amazing, is so frightening uh, on a sort of deep, visceral, um, almost biological level, right? And I mean, I wonder if this just comes from thousands of years ago and, you know, you leave your campgrounds to the unknown next place and, I mean, your life might have been on, on the line. But um, whatever the case, it's huge to have the confidence to step into what you're not certain about. If you had a crystal ball and you told anybody, look, I already know that if you make these 10 changes, you will be the happiest person. I have the answer. Everybody would do it, right? There's mm-hmm. not a person on the planet. They'd be like, oh my God, well then sign me up. Well, it's going to be hard and they'll be, yeah, whatever. If if you're telling me you know the answer is success, money, right? Like it's all working out, everybody would jump on it. So it's it's that fear of the unknown, fear that it won't work. Um, and, you know life, even when you stay the path, it's not working. So, you know, I think it's, it's a bit of an illogical quality to Mm -hmm, us. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, I want to take you back a a little bit to see where this was all embedded in you. I know you studied philosophy and all of that in college and graduate school, but as you look back, were there uh, maybe any significant events uh, as a child in your family that framed your interest in this area?
1: Um, in the area of leadership or in the area?
0: Well, I think in uh, certainly in the area of leadership, but, but really where this idea of um, studying philosophy even became oh, something you were know, interested in.
1: You know, I think it's one of those like sort of innate born qualities, to be honest. I was um, a really bad student. I hated school. <laughs> I was like totally distracted and out to lunch all the time in high school. And I read Plato uh, at 15 or 16 Um, I didn't understand it. I didn't quite get what we were reading, but I had goosebumps and I just kind of like thought, what is this? This is amazing. And I I don't even get it, but there's something here that was speaking to me. It's sort of a soul level. Um, and from that experience, when I went to college, I just looked at the course curriculum and I just found all these ancient, um, philosophy classes and I'm like, I got to sign up for this. (laughs) So it was, uh, I think there was just something that it really tapped within me, um, that made sense. And when I would read the philosophy, I would, I would think, oh yeah, finally, cool. Somebody is explaining, um, the things that I feel are true in a way that I can't articulate, right? Like it was just a really cool uh, experience for me. So I, I don't know that, you know, anything on that particular level was framed from a, a childhood experience. I think I just, I had a passion for it.
0: Yeah. Just kind of, uh, just was there. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 think my upbringing was completely the opposite, you know, just very practical, never read any of the philosophers or anything like that or took a philosophy class in college. Um, and probably should have, uh, looking back, um uh, when even in running your company obviously you had a a, a leadership role and and you're still a, a leader today uh when was the first time you realized that you were a leader
1: you know it's funny i you know i i never really framed myself that way um i i was put in this position at 24 and um i definitely rose to the challenge it, it never even it was never a fear or an anxiety for me um I had an old childhood friend who was like, you were always trying to tell us how to play every game. And <laughs> like I, mm-hmm. I think I wasn't aware of it, but I think I was always sort of taking that leadership position. Um, I was never the type that would vie for the center. Um, if somebody needed the limelight, needed to feel special, I'm happy to have them take it. But if there was like a Little power vacuum ever, even in deciding what game to play as kids. I would, I would always step up and, and you know, happily be that person.
0: Yeah, I was kind of that same way. I, I was always <laughs> much of an introvert. I didn't need to be the center of attention, but I was that competitive one that would say, "Let's do it this way." Yeah, uh, and that's and and again, you don't look at yourself necessarily as a leader, but as you look back, uh, that's exactly what you were. Um, can you think of? Uh, any sort of emotional event from your past that shaped your approach to leadership. Once you were put in that position in your company. Um,
1: yeah, I mean the emotional event, um, I think, um, the most, um, emotional event that happened that shaped me, it was, um, trying to, be somebody that I wasn't. Um um, so when I was first in the company and I was I was interviewing somebody to uh uh give them sorry not interview but give them their uh uh review Mm -hmm. I I I felt as if I didn't know what I was doing and I felt like I needed to try to be somebody that I wasn't and I actually like almost blacked out during the experience. Like I couldn't even. My my head was like thumping, and I couldn't think straight. And I think that was a moment where I realized I need to do this based on my own style, or this is never going to work for me. So that interview, um, sorry, a review. It 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 was so uncomfortable. It was like thirty minutes of me just fumbling my way through trying to. Uh, do this in a way that I thought was the right way to do it. It was very early in my career. And I think from that moment, it was just so uncomfortable and, and humbling and miserable that I just said, you know what, from here on out, I've just got to kind of trust myself and do it my own way.
0: That's a great lesson uh, that you learned along the way. And the fact is most of us, when we become Leaders, we didn't go to leadership school, right? Uh, there, I don't know. that I guess there are some of those out there, but uh, we just kind of go and and do it, and uh, and then make mistakes along the way. And I, I know I've made plenty of them. Um, and yet, you seem uh, quite confident as a person that you were put in this situation with your family and in a leadership role in this business. That you know, you kind of said, "Hey, I, I can do this." Um, and yet, there there must have been another you know, a uh, experience that really humbled you along the way. Can you think of one of those?
1: Totally. I mean, the most humbling was, you know, you start off early on and you're winging it. And I was good with that. And I was good jumping in and playing all the different roles and different hats and, you know, taking apart a computer one day and trying to do the accounting the next day. And I, like that, that was sort of not where I was struggling. But when we got to about Ten employees, and I couldn't just be everywhere and keep it all in my head and you know run around and keep up with everything. Um and I needed to create systems that worked for themselves and delegate to employees and have them uh, you know, get things done without me being there, touching it, seeing it. Um, so project management to delegation, system creation, you know that stands on its own two feet, brutal. We were in this massive growth phase. Um, I just didn't have the skills. I didn't really know how to approach it. You know, this is pre all these tools, right? Like we didn't have all these incredible project management tools that are available now or the internet or Google to search everything up. So I was like really isolated and, you know, just mostly what I had to figure out I was, I was doing on my own. Um, that was so humbling. Thankfully I had a, um, very senior IT woman who had come from a corporate background and she had learned a lot of project management from doing huge uh, IT projects. And she was very, very um, helpful in sort of hinting. (laughs) I think she didn't want to offend her boss, but you know, you could try like like this, you know, like -hmm. I would like happily steal her ideas and be like, thank you. Oh my God. You know? And so just setting all of that up was a really, really, uh, humbling experience.
0: Did you think it was okay to be vulnerable with other people in the company? You obviously, uh, were put in this position, finding your way, not always having the answers, none of us do, but in some ways being, you know, uncomfortable uh, in this in this role and some doing some things that didn't come naturally to you. Did you put on a, a good face for everybody or were you sometimes vulnerable with your own team uh, so that they would help you along the way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was sort of um, always uh, accessible. Um, I just, I never really... Um, found myself in that role of the boss. Uh, I was always trying to break down those barriers, um, talk to everybody, get to know them. I knew everybody's names and their families' names and what was going on in their lives. And um, I saw that as part of my job. I also under- felt like it's just something I naturally wanted to do. I'd mentor people, um, and I would share my own, you know, uh, challenges. Um, so I didn't. I didn't feel that that was a sign of weakness. Um, transparency, uh, accessibility, um, being understanding, trying to understand where they're coming from—those were all just things that I felt like made sense as a leader. Uh, to, I to, had um. this very unique experience in college. I got to TA a class and it was myself and one other guy. Um, We had to run the class twice a week, so we were <laughs> weirdly put in this position to teach. And he would come in and try to find the the one thing that the the, the class might not have read, right? Like catch them a little bit, shame them a little bit, maybe. Um, and I just wanted to support, help, and and help them feel more confident, right? And it was just one of those moments where I recognized, like, you know, this is really my style, and I'm not about. Um, you know, trying to fake some macho image. So yeah, that was, that was, uh, really how I led the company from the beginning to the end.
0: Now that you've had all this experience, all these years in and outside of the company, what would you say is the most important quality of a leader?
1: You know, I say this a lot. There's so much out on the internet. Um, you know, I, I could break it down into like, just details of 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 you know do this more or that that more there's a lot of tactical things to it but one of the biggest things is just be kind and nice and be normal like they're people right like leadership yes i want to get stuff done and yes i want people to be motivated but these are people so explain the company, the value of the company, the importance of what you're doing, get them on board, um, understand why they're not succeeding. Uh, most of the time it's not because they're trying to get one past you. It's, uh, they've got a lot going on in their lives. And, um, so, you know, to me, that's, that's the biggest thing is to, to just be, uh, be a good person <laughs> like have a cool mission and do, um, interesting things and, and, and help people, uh, get their minds around what, what your goals are and find the right people who are excited about that.
0: People would say that, uh, that's is a simple answer but i think it's uh a, a really uh, pertinent one and and makes complete sense i mean my dad taught me that lesson always be nice never burn a bridge and and you realize that in many companies it just doesn't work that way and if you just can't earn people's trust by being a good person you're never going to be a good leader and and so i think that's if you're prioritizing that does have to come first
1: yeah because that, you know you will burn through people. You might get more out of them in six months if you just pound down. Um, but they'll leave and they'll be unhappy and the work product will reflect that. Or maybe it won't. But I also, I guess I, Paul, I was like, I, I have to walk in here every day. I want to walk into a happy environment too, right? Like it was really important to me that I, I worked somewhere that I enjoyed being. So, you know, I could rule with an iron fist and, and Probably get twenty percent more out of everybody, um, but you know what kind of environment is that? So I was in it for the long game, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, normally I would ask how you would advise a uh, someone starting out in their career, but I'm going to be a little selfish here. Uh, because, uh, uh, I want some free advice that as someone who has like you ran a healthcare company for many years and I did love it, loved what I did of course, and then went on to work for the company that bought mine for years. Now I'm, I'm in search mode. So, uh, what are the just two or three key steps that you would recommend someone like me take to ultimately find that purpose? Cause it seems to me that's really what it's about.
1: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'm I'm humbled and flattered that you're asking uh, for my advice. Uh, I'm happy to um, give you what I can. I think the thing with search mode is um, just letting go of what you think you know about yourself and. Reopening up the part of you that is experimental, experimental and playful. So, uh, you and I were talking before the show. You've got kids. They believe that Santa comes down a chimney, right? They they're just mm-hmm. so open to um, to. Uh, almost anything. When we get knowledge about the world and who we are in the world and how the world works, we shut down and we limit, and then we try to work within that. And that's what I did when I left. I had this you know, view of myself, my view of my skills and how I function in the world. And there was a whole other me that um, I wasn't even aware of anymore. So uh, on a very practical level, set a timer for three to five minutes literally, um, write down everything that you've wanted to do. Uh, just, just, as if it's Christmas, anything's possible. It's not about skills. It's not about your abilities. It's not, you know, money, time, resources. I'm too old on this. Just put it down. Like literally, you know, Mm -hmm. data dump. It's, it's like a Christmas wish list, you know, like a kid would say, I want a pony. Like if put down things that are crazy. And then after the timer goes off, set it again for three minutes and then stare at the list and say, you know, what do I feel most organized towards? Where do I feel most uplifted? There's so much intelligence in our um, intuition that we don't tap into. But with a timer and, and just a couple minutes, you have to trust that a little more. And just start asking yourself, like, okay, there's this list, there's 30 things. Rank order them one, two, and no like one A, no one B, mm-hmm. <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not one plus. It has to be one, two, three. And then, then take the top of your list and just go do something small. Like if you wrote down, try writing, go to a cafe today, just write a couple sentences. Um, whatever it is at the top of the list, take action, like literally that same day, you know, but, but small, just, but anything, right. Cause that's otherwise you'll, you'll end up in a stagnant, uh, uh, Space and, and the conscious mind will come back in and start convincing you, well, you really can't do that, right? Like, you're that's it. Well, I know you put that as your first, but come on, man. You're like, you know, and of course, there's a couple of things that are unreasonable. Like, at 45, I'm not going to become a, a famous tennis player and compete at Wimbledon, right? Like, I mean, there's obviously some range of reasonable <laughs> <here>. <laughs>
0: Yeah that that those are uh, great suggestions. I know what I'm going to do with the 10 minutes uh, right after we finish um, with my with my little timer here and um just wonderful advice. Uh, Laura you're such a special person and I'm I'm so glad you're available to give through your experience and what you've learned to others. And I know I'm sure all of your clients are getting a tremendous amount from that. Um, I got a couple quick questions, uh, kind of the association game I do with all my guests. I want to do with you and, um, just kind of tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, name a famous leader you look up to.
1: Yeah. So I, it's not, it's not business leaders for me. It's more, um, uh, like Pema Shardron, you know, like spiritual leaders. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, how about a great book that influenced your leadership style?
1: It's so hard. Um, so many of them, but uh, honestly, there was this little book, um, uh, Streetwise Entrepreneur, <laughs> that I bought it like 20 years ago, and it was all the things he did wrong and what he thought he knew and then what he Figured out to be true, and it was just really helpful to me.
0: Yeah, kind of all the basics when you got into that. Um, Mm -hmm. What's your all time favorite movie?
1: That would be Shawshank Redemption. Oh
0: my gosh, we had another uh, guest with the same one. That's a tremendous movie. (laughs) Um, Yeah. All right, so now you're stranded on an island, you get to take one thing with you. What would it be?
1: Okay, don't laugh, but it would be Chapstick.
0: chapstick <laughs> do you know that i was on the phone with a friend the other day and our first 15 minutes of conversation was about chapstick and how we're addicted to it our whole lives and what kind we use so don't be embarrassed by that at all i think that's a great answer just um, like you're
1: already screwed you're on an island i'd really just wouldn't want chapstick.
0: yeah like, so. yeah all right and last one is what's something about you that most people don't know
1: um yeah that's a funny one i I think, um I have a really, really serious, guilty pleasure of winding down to uh, Netflix binging at nighttime now Amazon Prime.
0: ah, all right. well, uh, give me a good series to binge watch
1: um, i I mean, we just are watching um, Mozart in the jungle the the uh, it's about um, the New York maestro uh, who runs the New York Symphony. It's really good.
0: ah, wonderful. Well, this has been uh, great, Laura. Thank you so much for for being with us and sharing your important life lessons. I know there's a lot we can learn for that from from you and uh, what you have gone through. and congratulations on such a successful transition to to what your purpose is in life. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much. This was an incredibly uh, fun interview. I appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose Podcast. Until next time.